What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Pozvon, and welcome to another episode of VGM Generations. With me, as always, is Jordan Belinsky, the master time staller, <laughs> Darian Lambert, and Aaron Belauchuk. I got nothing. Jordan's going <laughs> to change his name to Darian Lambert. Darian Lambert. Yeah, so we are on part three of episode 11 of our Kusoge podcast. You did it. Yay. I did it. I did it. And actually, the reason I did it is because I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, one could argue the inspiration for this podcast, uh, Game Scoop, and they were actually were talking about Kusoge games um, in Japan, and like, so what? It actually gave me a little more um, information on the genre, and it's Kusoge is I like how that's a genre. Yeah, like well, the it, developers in, in are Japan, sitting around the table. I, I gotta make one of these. In <laughs> Japan, it's considered like a category or class of games, and it's it's not it it can't just be bad games. It's like bad games that are kind of beloved. So and that's why um, that first one I did that Atlantis Nonazo is considered one of those because even though it's like a terrible game, it's kind of remembered very fondly. Mm-hmm. And so I think it actually fits our our you know category. This that's month like everything even better. we've done, right? Yeah, exactly. It's right, games that are bad, but you love because you didn't know any better. We when have you were like a, a soft spot yeah. in our yeah. heart for them, so I think it, it works even better. So yeah, they uh, the one guy Jared Petty, um, uh, who's actually just about to leave IGN, but. Uh, Great man, Jared Petty, but uh, and like a video game historian, lived in Japan um, for a few years, and he said like all the like little local game shops and like the not in Tokyo where it's like fourteen floors of games, but in like mm, smaller, super potato. yeah, exactly, in like smaller places, um, uh, shops will often have like a Kusoge corner mm. uh, where like they put all the kusoge games and like people will go buy them and love it and it's mm. like a huge thing well I, I think it it says a lot about like a lot of the ones we've picked are older games and that yeah. has a lot to do with growing up there wasn't uh, the exposure to what bad games were it was just you had to look at the label or the back of the box and roll the dice right and you were more forgiving because your your options are limited as a kid you played what you got right that you kind of thing and yeah you saved up all your birthday money all your christmas money and then you said i want to buy jekyll and hyde on yeah. nintendo and then it's like well i guess i'm stuck with this for a year but so i better play it yeah. even that to me feels better than like a bad game today is almost like unforgivable like if it's bad today you wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole even if you like had no other choice well i think but yeah. back yeah. then you still would yeah, we you, have so much information now, though, yeah. too. Like back in the day, like we didn't know these games were bad before we bought them. Now you hop on yeah. IGN or wherever, and you have a million reviews before you even <laughs> that, leave the leave your house. Right? That's yeah. exactly it. We're not playing as many bad games, and like, yeah, as a kid, it was like fifty fifty. You know, unless word on the playground was that Mega Man Two was a good game, then yeah. you know. Well, I think back to the worst NES game that I ever had, which was Fist of the North Star, and I don't know if you have played or no fist. I think of the you've North mentioned Star. it before. I may have podcast. mentioned it and I would have thrown it in here if it had any redeeming music, but it's got nothing. That wow. was a game that even as a kid, I couldn't tolerate. I would try <laughs> it and it had, it had nothing. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't fit the plastic it was in. So <laughs> it wasn't worth the plastic. Yeah. It was packaged. In. Um, I think, uh, I think the other part of it too, is that like, um, I think a lot of these are, are from like the growing pains of the industry, if you will. So that like in these early days of like kind of more wild west of like where an LGN could exist, um, <laughs> LJN, um, now like they don't, right? Those like small developers, they just die because nobody buys their game. Mm. Whereas like back then, like they could kind of get away with, you know, some some money from their parent company <laughs> and like, yeah, we're going to just 
LJN, I mean, there was all like licensed stuff. They had they well, yeah. had the marketing behind it of these like huge franchises. Yeah, so. but now like now like you well, think Disney would give a game to LJN today? Not a chance. <laughs> we've we've played good Spider-Man games. We played good X-Men games. Now, yeah. but in those days, <laughs> they were setting the bar. Yeah. They were giving us garbage, but <laughs> there was nothing to compare it to. Exactly. There was, yeah. there was a good Batman game, but that you know it was hard to in the early days of Nintendo. It was you're you're sort of creating the genres. Yeah. Creating the game. You're standing in a field of feces, a particularly sparkly turd. Yeah. It still looks better than everything else around <laughs> you, I guess. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, Aaron, it's uh, your turn to go first oh. this week. All right. Well, you know what's funny about uh, about this episode is that it has a ton in common with our uh, rare episode for me. It turns out like all the bad games with good music for me, pretty much all of them came from rare specifically. Oh, there you go. And I guess, you know, that's David Wise's fault more than anything else. They had... They had him as the sort of diamond in the rough for yeah. the good music and then churned out a lot of garbage. David well, Wise, the unofficial official uh, <laughs> yeah. composer of VGM Generations. And and Rare did some okay games at the time too, but it wasn't until they became second, uh, second party developer for Nintendo where they started making right. hit after hit. That's where they became, that's where they really made their name. Yeah, and, and yeah. you're talking about the stuff that came before that. <laughs> the so. stuff that came before that. <laughs> and speaking of which, this is actually a game that I've talked about on the podcast before. So this is from episode four. I did uh, Time Lord for the NES, and I did the title track from Time Lord, which, as I probably mentioned in that episode, is the uh, timer tone on my phone. So whenever I set a timer, oh for right, anything, yeah, it, <laughs> it's the Time Lord theme go, goes off, and I won't, I won't stop it. It's like I don't care if whatever's on the stove is burning. I gotta like just groove to the uh, Time Lord. So yeah, I'm the time lot. staller and you're yeah. the time lord. Time lord. <laughs> I think he beats you. I think time he lord probably, yeah. is yeah, greater yeah. than time staller. The time lord probably didn't have an awesome name like that. I honestly don't even remember if the main hero in that game had a name at all. He's like this random generic double dragon like buff. He's got like a red sleeveless vest on. Of course. Okay. Like, and he's from the future. <laughs> so like it's the year 2999. We'll all be like wearing like red sleeveless vests, I guess. <laughs> I like, I like it's either like for some reason it's like we're wearing like really tight clothes or something or everything we own is silver yeah. for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know it's got to be like shiny, reflective yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, like tinfoil. In this Everybody's case, he looked like foil. Bayou Billy. It looked like he just wandered in <laughs> off of like Space Billy. Streets of Rage or something, this guy from the Space future. Space Billy is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who works in the MB Time Travel Research Center. This is where, like, that's the first level of the game is the MB Time Travel Research Center, which stands for the Milton Bradley Time Travel Research Center. Oh, so Milton Bradley Milton got Bradley into was the, uh, space time continuum <laughs> research at some point. And it's, it's hilarious because, of course, Rare developed the game. Milton Bradley published the game. And uh, it's funny to think that Milton Bradley, the game, the toy company, maybe they came up with time travel. It was their thing. So, you know. <laughs> they were like, we were, we were tr just trying to make a kid's toy. And then a wormhole opened up in the factory. <laughs> but uh, in Time Lord, which is a terrible game, make no mistake, it's super hard, but it's got a cool concept. You start in the year 2099, and you travel back. Aliens are invading the Earth in order to, to take over the planet. They are infiltrating different time periods through history, like in disguise for some reason. So they'll go to like medieval times and disguise themselves as a dragon or the Old West and disguise themselves as a huge Mexican bandito. I don't know how their plan actually works for taking over the universe, but you uh, travel back to these periods to stop them. And as you're traveling through time... Your, the clock is constantly ticking. So it's counting up to like January 1st in the year 3000. 
and time continues to pass even though you're the past. So this is the worst time travel ever because you can't actually stop time or go back or correct anything like that, which translates to, I think, 34 minutes of actual game time. So if you don't beat this game in 34 minutes, then... Oh, it's like... Uh, um, it's like a time Zelda. Uh, uh, Majora's, Majora's Mask. Mask. Like Majora's yeah, Mask. You have a limited amount of time to beat the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you, you could say that, but well, that whole like time travel... That- 48 hours remain was very endearing for Majora's yeah, Mask. Yeah, I was going to say, you Here, just you made just hate yeah. it. No, you, just you made the game sound good. Because okay. you'd get really far, and it was super hard, and then you'd run out of time, and you start at the beginning, because there was, like, no continues in this game. Oh, jeez. So, in the but one thing I did love, and it's a good thing this is, like, I think the third level of the game. The first level where you're in the research center is just, like, a prologue. You walk up a flight of stairs. You fight, like, one guy, walk up a flight of stairs, and you travel to your first area, which is the medieval times. And then after that, you travel to the Western-themed one. So that is... Uh, the Western U.S. in 1860 A.D. And uh, I loved the music from this stage, like ever, from the first time I heard it. It is absolutely awesome because Western is a genre that is underrepresented in video games in general, I feel. I mean, we've got our Red Dead Redemptions and uh, things of that sort. but I, I would l- agree. N- not a lot of people asking for Western-style <laughs> games. Yeah. I know I'm not. But, but like I, Red Dead proved it can be awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I always thought that was a great genre for a game, but it didn't happen a lot. But there was this level, and uh, the thing that really grabbed me about it specifically was uh, the music was clearly based on the theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So the very, very famous Ennio Morricone um, theme. Yeah. Everyone knows knows it. That that one. Yeah. Exactly. So they actually, David Wise kind of ripped that off a little bit for (laughs) this theme, and I loved it. And the the song also kind of goes into two parts. It's got like the good, the bad, and the ugly Western part, and then about halfway through, it becomes this like saloon piano kind of piece that oh, is right totally, on. totally different. And uh, it really worked. I loved it. And, uh, you know, the worst part is, is I didn't write it down and I don't know the name of the track. Do you have it in front of you? Uh, yeah. Uh, Dead Man's Gulch. Dead Man's Gulch. I guess and that... And you're in the year 1860, apparently. That's right. That's 1860 Western U.S. And this is Dead Man's Gulch from the awesome, terrible game, Time Lord.
Yeah, I listen to well, I, I told you earlier today I listen to the soundtrack all the time, but I still have never played the game. Yeah. Even just sitting on like the password select screen where you fill out the password, I would just listen to that short yeah. little loop over and over because even that was good. But the, one of the things too is that back in the day before you could just download this music and listen to it, if I wanted to hear the music from it, I would have to get to that level, which was impossible to get to the later levels. So I almost never heard the, there's a pirate theme level in this one. Yeah. So, uh, and there's also a World War II themed one, which is kind of like a march. Are all the levels through time based on time periods that are in our past? Was there anything that was like the year 2032? No, no. That's a funny concept considering it was 2,999. So that just means that nothing good happened in like a thousand years. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. nothing of note. Yeah, (laughs) aliens didn't care about any of that stuff. They just wanted to go see pirates and knights and stuff. Yeah, I probably uh, mentioned this last time I talked about Time Lord, but it's worth mentioning it just because of the theme of this podcast being bad games is that there's not a lot of information out there on Time Lord. I don't think it was a very well-loved game. But uh, I did see that critic Michael Baker, and a, a critic, I can't remember. What I thought you were going to say Michael Bay. Michael, I was Bay. Like, Michael Bay was a game critic? <laughs> Michael Baker. And I d- it doesn't even say what publication he worked for, but it said, he said the gameplay was dull and repetitive, citing that most people would not have the patience to finish the game. He awarded the game one and a half out of five stars. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> so That's pretty this harsh. is truly a bad game that is like critic. Critics actually agree. This is terrible. Yeah. And yeah. do you like the game? I love the game. You do? Yeah. Okay. Even, oh, yeah. So even though it's like infuriating and you can't get past any levels, yeah. you still love it? Exactly. And most of that's probably the music. So Yeah. So totally fits the Kusoge. Exactly. Ideal. <laughs> and yeah, it's, of course, David Wise being the composer, it's going to have great music, right? The guy's hit yeah. machine. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, I guess that's me next. And uh, for this one, uh, Aaron doesn't know it's a secret. I... Uh, pulled out something that we played recently, uh, but together. is together, but uh, is considered a bad game. It is Sonic Spinball. <laughs> so, you know, as soon as you said played together, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, so exactly. Spinball. So Sonic Spinball. And the track I picked is the the kind of the first level track. It's called Toxic Caves. Um, so this game was developed by Sega Technical Institute. Uh, so if uh, if you were a Genesis kid, uh, these were the people who did Kid Chameleon and Comic Zone, if you played any of those games. Yeah, um, I was a Genesis kid. Did you play those? I played Comic Zone only years later in a PS2 compilation, so I never yeah. actually played it on the original. Yeah, console. I didn't play it either. You did said you kid, play? kid Chameleon kid was Chameleon? the other one? I yeah. love Kid Chameleon. It's okay. one of my favorites on Sega. But Okay. Um, so and together we've yeah, actually we played all these games, but yeah, they're really good. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, this they they were kind of a, an in-house developer that did some of the more offshooty stuff, but um, well loved. Uh, came out in 1993, and then now I can actually I can pronounce all the uh, composers because they're all English. So it's uh, <laughs> Howard Drossen, Brian Coburn, and Barry Bloom um, are the three composers for this one. So um, it's kind of an interesting game. Uh, it's one of those that actually has, even though it's not like a super well loved game, uh, or maybe I shouldn't say well loved, but super well reviewed game um, because people do like it. It's came come out for almost every major console since the Dreamcast. Hmm. So it came out for Genesis and then Dreamcast and like pretty much everything since, whether in a compilation or as a, as a, like just a single downloadable. You know, I liked it and when we played at your place and I didn't have the rose colored glasses of nostalgia behind that. Either. Absolutely. So we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, so, um, just another couple of facts. So um, it's only the second Sonic spinoff ever after a game called Sonic Eraser, which I had never heard of, which is like kind of a bejeweled, Dr. Mario style match, match color, match shape, match three sort of thing, thing. match yeah. three th- sort of thing. And then it just, uh, it came out just before 
Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. I've heard of that. Have you heard of that one? And that's the same sort of thing. Both of those were like the match three bejeweled style games. And then you had this this weird like pinball thing in the middle. <laughs> it's like they couldn't actually make a real Sonic game or an action game. They just went to suddenly. Well, they went to uh, puzzles and. But these are like the it's you know these are it's only the second one ever that was like the kind of the weird spinoff type. So um so the the plot of the game, which is really funny actually, is uh Sonic gets trapped in Robotnik's Vego Fortress, which is powered <laughs> by a volcano somehow. <laughs> so it's just That's like standard a evil lair kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's like a big metal Robotnik head on top of a vol- green. Vol- volcano uh and so i got none of this from playing the well, game <laughs> you actually you have to watch the full intro uh, to get all of this so it's pretty funny uh, or i think uh read the manual mm-hmm. and uh and then uh to escape you have to navigate the base's pinball defense system <laughs> <laughs> which is uniquely designed that only sonic the hedgehog can right because he can only he's the only yeah. one that can like curl up like sonic or maybe uh samus could so do it but, if it wasn't yeah. that then you know so- sonic would be screwed yeah so. exactly so so robotnik designed a system that only sonic can defeat <laughs> yeah. so so um one of the games uh cool one of the cool things that made it kind of a more interesting pinball game than just your standard basic you know windows pinball game um is that you actually can steer sonic just slightly in the air when you're playing so you can move them just a little bit left or right so you can kind of it allows you to have a little more interaction than just like just waiting for him to drop to the flipper and hit it so that's kind of cool well there are are sections where you can actually land on your feet and walk around yeah so they actually had like Almost the full mechanics and jump too, so yeah, almost the yeah. full mechanics of Sonic inside of this pinball. Yeah, game. there was a little bit of platforming involved, which yeah. made it way better than just a standard pinball yeah. game. Yeah. So, and then what makes it a bad game um, is what we've been talking about all basically all month. With it's just ridiculously hard. Um, so all that time <laughs> you, you played about, it, well, see, Aaron. you did really good. <laughs> what I didn't realize, you didn't even get past the first part of that game. Like, no, no. I was, of, of all the parts, like there's many, there's like bonus levels and boss levels, and there's four major levels. You didn't even get through the first of the four major yeah, levels. Yeah, and it because t- it takes a long time because we had to figure out that you have got to collect the emeralds. You got to you got to basically unlock these gates. You've got to yep. collect the emeralds. You've yep. got to do all this stuff. Then you've got to get to the inner sanctum. Yep. And we're just learning all this on the fly, right? Yeah. So it's so that was the thing. That's what makes it hard. Like each level, like can take up to 30 to 35 minutes just to beat one part. So when you're bouncing around the same table for 35 minutes, just trying to get to the next part, it's kind of annoying. Well, right? it's, so. like an, it's like an exploration game, except you're a pinball trying to play two games at once, right? Like you're trying to like explore the map and find out what you're as a pinball, right? But so the thing pinball. about that is yeah. because you're a pinball and you have, you know, limited control over where you're going. That just means it's like an exploration game where you have to keep revisiting the same section over and over and over. So it's yeah. like one it giant re- fetch quest it, in yeah. pinball yeah. form. And it gets repetitive after a while. Yeah. But. So that's kind of what makes the bad, it makes it a bad game, but what makes it a good game is the music. It's got <laughs> great music. It's that super classic, like 90s synth, Genesis sound, yeah, just like, and it's it's just, it's like the purest, you know, distilled form of it in this game. So (laughs) it could be only described as radical. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only thing you could say. So last process. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's have a listen to the music. This is the Toxic Caves, which is the song you will absolutely hear the most if you play this game from Sonic Spindle.
only Sonic being able to get through this space, and also yeah. potentially Samus. And that just yeah. reminded me that uh, Samus was in a pinball game, Metroid yeah. Prime Pinball, oh. which is a great pinball I game. There was a Mario pinball game, too. Did I played you ever Mario play that Pinball, one? but... That one's not good. No, it's not. And Pokemon Pinball was okay, but... Is it just like Met- a Pikachu... Ball? It was a standard Pokeball that you hit oh, around. Makes sense. And then you you actually catch Pokemon. It was pretty cool because you'd have to unlock Pokemon. They'd appear on the board. And you'd then you'd have hit to them like with hit the them with the ball. So it had like the elements of Pokemon built into it. And okay. it was good. Maybe for, we have for to do time. a pinball episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that was good because it was on the Game Boy Color. It was yeah. decent. It had the Rumble Pack feature. It was oh, like the first okay. game to actually do Rumble Pack yeah. on the Game Boy. That's cool. And then uh, much, much later on the, I think it was the DS yeah, it was the DS where Metroid Prime Pinball came out. Yeah, because I was going to say it would have to be post-GameCube. Yes. And I put a ton of hours into Metroid Prime really? Pinball. Okay. And that is not just a good representation of like the Metroid franchise and even Metroid Prime. It's great pinball. It's a yeah. great game all around. Was there any like special features in that one, like steering or anything like that? Well, it, it didn't have steering. It was classic pinball, but it, because it was virtual pinball, it did all the weird impossible things that you could do. Like you would go into these action modes where you would, Samus would turn, like it was always Samus who's being knocked around the field. Yeah. And you'd go out of ball mode, and then you could like fire missiles and fire oh, okay. and and like beetles and stuff. Were you actually you. controlling that? You controlled the direction that you aim, so it was okay. almost like a Space Invaders kind of thing, where okay. like beetles would come at you, and you'd have to like fire at them, and you'd have to fight bosses. So, do you, what was the name of the ice boss from uh, Fendrana Drifts? Oh, um, I can't remember, but he's a big rock monster. Yeah, yeah, okay. big ice and rock monster kind of thing. And you fight him, like you a fight, golem or something. Yeah, like you fight space pirates. You fight him, and you have to mm-hmm. like actually hit him and then he rolls around trying to knock you off and you have to fire missiles and you and you can use Samus's bombs and you actually went through different levels of the game until you could finally get to the end collecting all the Chozo artifacts and defeating the uh Metroid Prime. So, That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. It was a, it was it was like playing Metroid Prime and pinball and they managed to mash those things together into a coherent story that worked. And it yeah, and it was yeah. fun. Yeah. So, that's cool. So, um uh, oh yeah, one of the other things uh people kind of leveled against this game was that the boss fights are actually kind of boring. Um all the boss fights consist of like they're all different, which is cool. But basically, all you have to do is you just have to hit the boss in the pinball mode enough times. That's mm-hmm. all it is. There's no like interesting mechanic there. But the um, one of the cooler things is the bonus levels, and what it is is actually it's you can see like the reflection in like the glass of a pinball machine, and it's actually Sonic playing a real pinball machine. Oh, cool! So it goes mm-hmm. like it's not Sonic in the pinball like board anymore it's actually like a steel pinball and you have to like knock robotnik's teeth out and he's like moving back and forth mm-hmm. kind of thing so and you see sonic like hitting the bumpers and stuff so that's kind of cool <laughs> so is he playing this bonus game inside robotnik's like pinball fortress this is, I guess so, yeah. this meta. is, is this like pinballception yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit yeah and then uh the craziest thing that i found about this game uh which i gotta save the best for last is if you had the sonic and knuckles cart and you slapped this in on top of it um, you get this weird bonus game and it's kind of like um, if you played Sonic 2 um, the bonus levels where you're running down the path and you have to just like the it's kind of like a half pipe mm-hmm. yeah exactly and you're running up on the walls and stuff it's sort of like that but a little more 3D and you're just running on a course and you have to kind of like follow the course and you there's a bunch of blue orbs and you're trying to like collect all the blue orbs <laughs> and yeah it's like baked into like the Sonic and Knuckles that sounds card. more like Earthworm Jim to me than yeah <laughs> it is it's kind of weird but it's like a it's like a third person 3D perspective yeah. and it, they must have baked it into 
I don't know where it lives. If it if it lives on the Sonic and Knuckles cart and is unlocked by the Sonic Spinsball cart, Maybe or if like it's on the Sonic Spinball cart, half and the code uh, comes who knows? together. Who knows? <laughs> magical then, some so, next yeah. level thirty two X kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I guess. And then I guess you had to <laughs> you had to hold down the three buttons on the you had to hold down the three button start and select on the Genesis cartridge or on the controller while you started the cartridge with this in it, and then you would unlock this weird bonus level. So I found some like janky like VHS footage on on YouTube <laughs> of people like check this crazy shit out and it's like all different languages like one was like Japanese one guy was like Polish or something so that's yeah a, so that's that's the coolest weirdest thing about this game <laughs> I love that I love that Sonic and Knuckles cart like I don't know like for that for Sonic Spinball I don't know what they would have had to done to get that working like if they predetermined that bonus game and they built it into the cart yeah, well, that's and, the only thing is that yeah. they had a little spare space on the cart. They left it in there, didn't want to do anything with it, and then decided that like, like well, DLC we got this, almost. we got this cart. Let's just make this unlock that. Maybe and, they did nothing, and this was just like total happenstance. <laughs> this was like serendipity where you put it in there, some and some weird magic happens. happens, and like the stars align, and it makes <laughs> the a code, game. Somehow. The code corrupts into uh, yeah. this new new that, thing, a, a new like, game, somehow a new game with Sonic in like a different, a totally different perspective, it's like yeah. that creepy pasta kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, yeah, ben, yeah, ben yeah drowned, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that's that's uh, Sonic Spinball. So. You know, not a not a bad game, but a ridiculously hard game, and uh, but with great music. So, uh, Jordan, all right, your, uh, your I'm, I'm calling it Folin Month. Folin Month, that's uh, right, because I've been talking about Tim Folin and, and his brother Jeff all month. I'm going to keep that up. I want to talk about uh, a game that really let me down. Uh, have you guys ever bought a game specifically because of the music, the soundtrack? Well. I sort of mm. talked about this last time, but Assassin's Creed Three. Yeah, you were yeah. sold on the music, and so you bought I was the sold, game. I was sold on everything, and then yeah, and then it really let me down. And I can't I'm, say I've ever bought a game because I heard the music first. And yeah, it was good. Yeah, okay. Well, so, I want to hear this story now. Okay. Well, it's not it's Shantae not, and the Pirates Curse, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Music sells the game in it if you watch a trailer or so. I heard the song, the the title song for this next game that I'm going to bring up, and. It was like, I couldn't believe my ears. I'm like, this is a Nintendo. This is before I, I think I even knew who Tim Fullen was. So I'm just like, first off, amazing song. This is Nintendo. And then I realized, okay, now I got to, now I got to play this game. Um, so I was completely sold on the, on this, on the song alone, went out and bought the game and yeah, it was a bit of a stinker. So the game is called Solstice and it was created by Software Creations, the company Tim worked for for most of his career in the year 1990. And uh, what can I say about the game? It's it's an isometric puzzle game. So again, puzzle game, I love those. Mm -hmm. So I figure, okay, this music sounds great. It's a puzzle game. I'll give it a shot. I'm in. <laughs> totally in. <clears throat> From Software Creations, they only make gold. They only That's make right. gold. That's right. <laughs> they work closely with LJN to uh, <laughs> develop some of the best uh, X-Men and Spider-Man games we've ever played. <laughs> there you go. So um, so what, what can I say about, uh, about Solstice? So the game takes place over the winter solstice, which... Coincidentally, might theme. be, <laughs> might be exactly when we're uh, we're airing this episode. I think it might time out. I'm not sure when when is the winter solstice. Uh, the twenty first of yeah. December. Uh, no, it's going to be off just by a bit, but oh, very close. <laughs> I tried to time it out. So <laughs> this game takes place over the winter solstice. You play a, a buff wizard 
<laughs> a buff wizard. A buff wizard. <laughs> no one's ever seen a buff wizard. So you you got a computer. I don't know if you can look it up. Yeah. Just, just while I'm talking. Okay. Look, look up the cover of Solstice. So you're a wizard named Shadax. <laughs> <laughs> what you is thought, with you oh and the man. names this month? <laughs> Shadax. Oh my God. That's, Look at this guy. That's like, that's like the cool version of Gandalf. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The cover. Um, so, <laughs> so, so imagine Gandalf with, uh, with his hat. Beard. And his beard and his long flowing hair. And of course it's Wendy, right? Because yeah, he's yeah. got long hair. He's got these boots on and he's got shorts. And the reason <laughs> and why the you can... And, and the, you, his chest is exposed because he's got his arms out in the air. And there must be some kind of a storm because, you know, his magical wizard powers. So his cape is blowing back, exposing his open chest. And he's got muscles till, till the end of time. I want this painted on the side <laughs> of a van. You got to. So I don't know if any of you have seen this image, but if you look up like, well, I suppose if you're going to look up this, you can just look up the image. But <laughs> Aaron's coming over to have a look. But um, if you guys have ever seen the uh, Arnie from his uh, from his uh, Mr. Universe days when he won and he's got his arms out like that. Imagine that. <laughs> but with a blonde like Gandalf beard, but like blown totally backwards because it's like so windy. And then like the biggest cape you've ever seen in your life. He looks kind of like Hulk Hogan cosplaying as a wizard. <laughs> yeah, actually that's yeah. a pretty good one. Yeah. If it was, if Hulk Hogan was cosplaying as like a, an eighties, nineties Gandalf, like, uh, yeah, th that, that gives you a pretty good idea of what's on the cover of this. <laughs> so a uh, classic nineties cover for the, for solstice. Um, you play 70s a, van cover. For Soul <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, 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 that's what yeah. it is. It's a this, 70s van yes, painting. Yes. Exactly. Airbrushed on the, the side of a van. Yeah, brothers or whatever totally. Was, yeah. yeah. So that's the cover. You uh, you load up the game. And of course, you you get the, the, the game's representation of that same character, which looks nothing like it. Of course. Yeah, because it's an NES game. <laughs> so the story continues. You're trying to save Princess Eleanor, who's been captured by uh, uh, Morbius. Uh, an evil, an evil, another, I guess another wizard, wizard? or sorcerer yeah, okay. of yeah. some kind. Um, and uh, every hundred years <laughs> on the winter solstice, um, there's a magical staff called the Staff of Demnos. And if you collect the six <laughs> pieces during the 100 year winter solstice, you get the power. <laughs> I love these, these names. Yeah, this so lore is ridiculous. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You get the power of? The, the Staff of Demnos. Okay. Yeah. Which makes you a, uh, a a powerful mage. Okay, so is that why he's like super buff? Was he like, is it like Roshi where he's like yes. old and yeah? yeah. Well, I, maybe. And then he gets the staff and maybe. he becomes Hulk Hogan. <laughs> maybe that's it. He gets the staff and he becomes buffed out. Yeah. Hmm. So um, Morbius has kidnapped the princess because if he sacrifices her to um, the magical winter solstice festival, um, he becomes a powerful mage. And you mean Christmas? Uh, <laughs> 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 he becomes uh, Santa Claus. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, so you navigate through these labyrinth type mazes in an isometric puzzle style game. And um, it's, it's super hard. I really wanted to give this game a fair shake because of the soundtrack. And it's also a series. There's a sequel on Super Nintendo called Equinox um, or in Japan, it's called Solstice 2. And the series is the same. It's all just isometric uh, puzzle platforming. Really wanted to like it, but there's some some problems with the game that I just can't forgive. Like um, the difficulty is the main one. Um, the map is really difficult to use. Just the navigation is hard. There's a lot of trial and error, error where you uh, you have no way of knowing uh, the mechanics of the game until you die a hundred times. Well, that's super bad for a puzzle game. 
And you also don't really get a lot of lives or continues until you start to find your way through the game a little bit further. So you almost have to become a pro at like the first level to sort of get to the next part. And then you have to like reteach yourself. What do I do next? And one of the biggest drawbacks is um, with the isometric view, there's multi-level platforming and puzzling as well. And if you think in your head um, of an isometric platformer game, Qbert, Qbert's a good example. There's no shadows in this game. So when you're going up a level or down a level, you can't tell if you're going up or down or if you're just stepping to the block in front of you. That sounds impossible. Because you've got to be some kind of Shadax to be good at this game. (laughs) (laughs) Or a Morbius. (laughs) Or have the staff of... uh, Demnos. 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 That's right. So I actually had to give up on this game, and I actually played about halfway through Equinox on the Super Nintendo until I got to, like, World 3 or 4, where again, they introduced the multi-level platforming and there's no shadows. So I was jumping into walls thinking, why can't I cross this gap? And it just broke my brain and I, I decided it wasn't worth the time. But what kept me going as far as I did was the amazing music. So uh, I'll talk a bit more when we come back, but um, let's listen to the title theme of Solstice by Tim Follin.
nothing worse than playing like a fantasy themed game, even like a Skyrim, where they just throw like stupid names and terms for like places and things and concepts at you that mean nothing and make no sense. And it's funny how this is a longstanding tradition in video games. And I guess it's kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons thing, even beyond that. So, you know, yeah. ridiculous, nonsensical lore will always be a component of fantasy games. The, the names are, are, ridiculous but they sort of yeah you you, you tend to believe them a bit mm. like they fit into well, this they fit, goofy right? world because the yeah. everything's goofy so why wouldn't everything have a goofy name but actually it's funny now that i hear this and i just i want to mention just because i mentioned game scoop at the beginning of the episode um the game scoop uh he did this 8-bit radio damon hatfield did this 8-bit radio and he actually used this music i think for like an intro at some point and i, I was like that sounds super familiar so yeah. that, that that the very intro the like well, that wavery sound the, that the, was in there. The beginning of the song uh, that you've already heard, like vibrato. It has, it has a very like mediocre beginning, like intro to the song, and then it's just like bam, you're punched in the face with like the, the rest <laughs> of the song. Yeah, you're punched in the face by, by Shadex. Shadex <laughs> is like I would kill you. <laughs> I'm picturing now. I'm picturing Terry Crews doing his like yeah his, yeah his exactly chest, chest pump. pump. <laughs> So the song was three minutes long and it didn't loop once. Like for me, that was the first thing I noticed when I heard the song that blew my mind, how like intricate and deep the song was. Oh, the uh, thing I got to ask you, how did you hear the song before the game came out? Um, just listening to NES music podcasts and whatnot. Um, oh, so you, you heard the music well, before, the, after the game had come out and this wasn't and then like you went to the, the game. Day. This was like, yeah, probably within the last decade. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought this was back in the day. Yeah, I'm like, going like, how would you even come across? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a commercial might have music in it, but, but it's never, it's never, it's like commercial music, right? Mm. It, and in the nineties, it was just like crazy hair metal, but yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> this is crazy games. hair metal. Yeah. But I imagine that wizard from the cover playing an electric guitar. Or a keytar. Oh, a keytar, even better. <laughs> Good. Um, so, interesting thing about this song, uh, speaking of keytars, uh, so uh, Tim Follin composed the song or the soundtrack entirely on um, on a computer, so he never actually used a keyboard or anything. He never used any any instruments when trying to compose the song, so he didn't, like, sit down with no, the like keyboard. Yeah, he didn't do any of that. He didn't write down any, or compose any music on paper. He just went on the computer and just started inputting numbers. Um, so I mentioned uh, I, another guy by the name of Steve Ruddy in a previous episode who designed the sound chip. Um, a lot of credit goes to him for the sound that Software Creations had. Um, and really interesting uh, fact, Tim actually doesn't like his music. <laughs> like he, none of it? He likes he's never none proud of it. it. So in I can relate to that. Several interviews, yeah, he's his toughest critic. And like he has a somewhat of a cult following online of, of video game uh, music fans. Uh, you know, I'd consider myself one of them, but he, um, he doesn't like his music. And I've heard in several interviews, different sources, not the same interviews, but from uh, several different places that he doesn't like his music. Uh, one of the main reasons being that when... The, ga the games are being developed that he's working on. A lot of the time, uh, software creations will get him to start composing the music before the game's even done. And a lot of times they don't even know what they're doing yet. <laughs> so they'll say, hey, Tim, make us a song. And he'll be like, well, what is this for? And it's like, we don't, we know. don't know yet. <laughs> a game. So then it's you get, for a game. So then you get a, an intro like what we just heard to Solstice. But then you'll also get that for another game like Pictionary. And it's uh -huh. like, wh why does Pictionary 
have like this True. epic, like five minute unloopable song that just makes <laughs> me want to like get in a spaceship and fight aliens, but I'm playing Pictionary, you know, it's just like, <laughs> because that's how I feel when I play Pictionary. <laughs> that's how Tim feels. That's why, but every game had an epic soundtrack because of it. So well, yeah, it's and then, okay. And I think when a lot of people, uh, when you list off a lot of the games that Tim's worked on or either of the Fallen brothers, Tim or Jeff, you list those games to somebody. If they know the games, they'll probably remember the music. Uh, the music stands out as being one of the highlights for this company. Um, so I actually hit the jackpot today when I was doing further research. I swear I've done like research all month on Tim and, and the Folan brothers, but it was only just like earlier today that I found, I came across this video on YouTube. This guy had actually um, in their early nineties when this game was, it could have even been the late eighties cause this game came out in 90. So this was a promotional tape that was sent out by the publisher Image, ImageSoft, and um, they sent it out to anybody that was willing to, you know, mail in their their shipping and handling fee. So this guy on YouTube, back in '89 or '90, he mailed away for this uh, what ends up being a, a production tape of the making of Solstice. So he gets this ta VHS tape, tape in the mail, and it's the whole making of Solstice. It's like a 20-minute documentary of the making of this game. So that's kind of neat. You don't see that very often these days. Um, but he explains in his YouTube video that he had a house fire in 1992 and he thought he lost the tape and he just comes across it like a couple of years ago and uploads it to YouTube. So this might be like very well, like one of the only copies that you'll ever see out there. Cause I can guarantee you anyone at, at uh, ImageSoft or so Software Creations may or may not have this, and they're definitely not going to be uploading it for the rest of yeah. the world to see. So the <laughs> best shameful period. The, the best part of the whole entire interview is when they get to Tim, and they talk about what I said earlier about how he composed the entire soundtrack just on the computer and not using any instrumentation, any real instruments in assisting. So the interviewer says to Tim, now let me let me read off the sheet so I get this right because I, I quote it word for word. So when talking about using the computer to write the music, he says, so this is why you reckon your music's better than everyone else's? And Tim responds, I don't reckon it's better. I think... And then they cut him off. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? They and cut him like... off because ImageSoft is, is paying to have this thing published and sent out to the public. No. Nah. So they don't want Tim saying that his music sucks when they're trying to promote the game. And <laughs> but why leave the rest of that clip in there at all? Why not cut it off earlier? That <laughs> doesn't make any sense. That's the best part <laughs> because they hate so the No one will ever know what he said. So they they so not only did they horribly hack that part out and leave all the front part in, so they cut away from the interview. Maybe they hired they, some like high school student <laughs> to cut it. <laughs> they cut to they cut back to footage of the game and they just turn up the volume so you can hear Tim's awesome music. And it is great. He's just modest and like I said, he's not a fan of his music because um, he never had any context to the game, so he felt like his music never fit any of the the themes of the game. But I just love the fact that he's ready to like you know beat himself down in this interview and talk about how bad his music is you know, when they're trying to promote the game and they just cut them off like mid cut off, And then they like drown him out with his own music. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I think, and then <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you're on YouTube, go, um, do you, what did you just search for? I like, don't even know promotional how I came, video or yeah. Like the making of solstice. Okay. Uh, NES. You so, should yeah. find it. 
Yeah, YouTube so, search is really good. So if you just look for that, you can see the the hilarious cutoff. <laughs> I wanna I wanna do this for yeah, other too. games too. I actually wanna like send away for you know I wanna see like the VHS tape for the Last Guardians. Well, yeah, yeah like well, that. exactly. But it's funny because like that never happens anymore, right? Because there's months and months of previews and all this stuff on on all these game sites. But like, I bet there was like so many games that like they had made that and like three people ordered that oh, footage, probably, you know yeah. what I mean? And like, well, that stuff is like just lost to history, right? Which is too yeah. bad. I remember one came out a little while ago. It was for like new Sega employees is what I think. It was like a Sega, like welcome to working at Sega. And it was totally in the time frame of like Sonic 2 and like uh, when the book um, uh, uh, Console Wars was written and mm. all that stuff. And it was like, it's so funny. It's like for like Q&A testers and you can find it. It got posted everywhere. Like it hit Reddit and then went crazy. Um, but yeah, if you want to watch like another after you watch this one, if you want to watch another like hilarious, like promotional, like 90s and it's long, it's like an hour and a half and it's like welcome to the company kind of thing. And it's so funny. What I love is because like so many of these like classic game developers from back in the day either have like a website or a blog or tw just Twitter or whatever now that they're digging up all this old stuff through their own personal archives and yeah. actually posting it. Like yeah, it's, it's awesome. awesome to go back to have this stuff finally resurfacing after all this time. Yeah. Well, that was how Fantastic. that was how the fans got their hands on time tracks that we talked about last yeah. week. Was yeah. Tim posted it on his website, just the song. Yeah. And yeah. then the fans went out and found the uh, um, what's it called? Roms. Uh, not the ROM. Um, the prototype. The prototype of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because like the odds of finding the prototype. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, there's like one prototype in the whole world, maybe two or three. And yeah. it usually like in a Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse somewhere, exactly. like a crate underground. It's like how that uh that um Super Nintendo Sony prototype oh, the, like resurfaced the, a couple of years ago. Yeah, the Nintendo PlayStation. Yeah, that yeah. like how that actually like somebody like dug like the what was it? It was the guy, it was like the janitor when they were like clearing out yeah. the, the I, warehouse, like grabbed it and like brought it home mm -hmm. and had it for like 30 years and never turned it <laughs> on. And then somebody turned it on and there was like a Mario game, like a few levels that they built for it. And it was amazing. Yeah, there's actually an interview with him. He was at the retro um, Portland Retro Gaming Expo and he was on with Ben Heck. Yeah. And they had, they were being interviewed and uh yeah, you're exactly right. I think he was a janitor and he was just, he was given like random boxes well, and, think, and supplies because I think they were like clearing out um, like CEO offices. And, yeah, exactly. And, and they were like, he was like getting chairs and furniture and stuff. I think what it was is they were doing one of those auctions and you see it when you see like a warehouse auction is they've actually just warehouse pallets of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they're just like, here's a random pallet. We don't know what's in it. Who wants it? And like he paid like, I don't know, like 50 bucks for this huge yeah. pallet of stuff. And what was in there yeah. is the priceless Nintendo <laughs> PlayStation, like stuff like that. So, well, well and, and uh, I think what's common with a lot of uh, stories like that one and um, finding the prototype for time tracks a lot of these companies um, either go under or there's sort of like a buyout or a separation. And a lot of times, like some of the property just doesn't get claimed. So employees will end up taking them or just people janitors. that- Janitors. <laughs> exactly. Janitors or random people, they just fall into like a weird place. Yeah. And those right are- the right time. And, and sometimes those are people that are likely to share them online. Like you don't hear a lot of stories of like the CEO uploading like a rare version of a whatever game, but, yeah, exactly. but you will find a former employee do something like that. Yeah. So. That's like if I had a time machine, I would like go back to these auctions and be like, I'm going to bid $51 on yeah, that pad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If only you were a time lord. <laughs> if only I was a time lord. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, uh, so that's it for our songs. And now we ask the question, Jordan, what have you been playing? I've been playing La Mulana oh, okay. on PC. And it's a game I've played before, but I'm going back for another round. 
And for those that don't know, it's just um, it's a it's a retro inspired dungeon crawler. Okay. Um, you play an Indiana Jones esque character running through um, the temples of Lamulana, and he uh, he's looking for treasure and to save the universe, I guess. And this is the uh, remake. Of this La is Mulana. the remake. Yeah, it uh, it came out in mid two thousands, and they did like more of a this. Uh, I guess that was more of like an eight bit version that came out in the mid two thousands, and this remake came out in the late 2000s. Um, and the reason I started playing it was just because I had an itch. Um, I backed the Kickstarter for the sequel and I've been waiting all year. They said 2016 it was coming out and I still haven't seen it. Do you think are they going to hit it? Well, they, they hit it like back in 2014 or 15. Oh, okay. And they were actually like just about done the game. There's a demo out, which I'm refusing to play because I've seen footage and I'm already sold. Okay. Uh, plus I've already bought it. So yeah. I'm just going to wait, but uh, like I I'm following them on Twitter. So I'm sort of getting the updates and whatnot. Uh, La Mulana two will be out. I'm, I'm assuming, uh, the first quarter of next year, but really, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> and next year. And that applies to every year. It'll exactly. be next year. They, I, I, I'm seeing the progress. So I know the game is coming out, yeah. but, um, I have to translate a lot of, uh, Japanese to find out my updates from them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I love the game and I'm playing it with my Hori fight stick. So oh, there you go. for me, it's like a throwback. If anyone's ever heard of Montezuma's Revenge, uh, game from the eighties, which was one of the first dungeon crawlers. The first time I ever played that was with an Atari joystick on my Commodore 64. So for me playing La Mulana today with a, with a Hori fight stick, it's, it's a new level. Like it's, it's totally awesome. Um, like my second, my first time playing it was with, uh, was actually with a Wiimote cause I played it on WiiWare, believe oh, it or okay. not. And well, so it wasn't it that the original platform for it, it was being developed for WiiWare specifically. That I don't know. Um, I, I know it was, was yeah. wasn't launched it was like on going to be an exclusive, but then of a course, lot of things were going yeah, to be exclusive yeah. for yeah. WiiWare and then that platform kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. But it was such a fantastic game because I think it was only like 15 bucks and I'm like for 15 bucks, I'll give it a shot. It turned out to be for me like um, a 50, 60 hour game. Wow. And so good value. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, for 15 bucks, I didn't expect it to be this big of a game. Um, and now playing it on the PC, uh, what I realized as I beat it the first time on the Wii where um, there's actually a hidden temple that you can only get on the PC version. So it broke my heart when I realized <laughs> I was mis missing a level called the Hell Temple. And I'm like, okay, well, now I got to play this back. again. I got to go, get to Hell in La Mulana. So. Oh, okay. Sounds very Cave Story-esque as well, doesn't it? It is yeah. very much, yeah. There's Because um, Cave Story is a lot of backtracking as well. Yeah, and, and there's um, like hidden levels in that that are very actually difficult to, to reach. You have to fulfill a very specific set of requirements. You have to make certain choices in the game. Well, that, and you can only access the hell level part of the game if you do those. And that's what makes La Mulana like sort of like a cult classic, um, extremely difficult game. Like people that um, like the game, they're, they're into like those really hard punishing games hmm. um, because almost to beat every single level or to progress anywhere in the game, the whole game is like that. Like you need to like um, scan this statue in one level and then it like opens a box like three levels over, but you don't open the box yet. You need to like jump on this platform like five times <laughs> and then it's like this alternate dimension level opens up somewhere else and you're supposed to know that. Oh but man. There are ways to find all of that out if you look for the clues, but for most people it just goes right over your head. So. Yeah, you, gotta, you have to be very into it. Yeah, and yeah. This is the, and because of that, I imagine for the fans who are super into it, this is the sort of game like you that play multiple times. You don't just play once through. You've got to go back again and again. Well, the beauty of it, of the difficulty is if you go back and play it again, you've almost forgotten everything you did. Like you remember <laughs> parts of it, but the yeah. game is so big and so difficult that 
you know, you're, you're going to pull out a guide every time you play this game. <laughs> yeah. I think so I played 10 minutes of the original of this game, and it yeah. sounds totally like the sort of game that I would get into. I mean, being a big Indiana Jones fan, but 10 minutes of the original, I think I attacked a bat, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and that was about it. And then I kind of stopped, but I, it, it's been on my wish list forever. So I would play the updated one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I love the music yeah. in the updated one. But, so they, uh, so this rolls perfectly into the contest. It does. So we can add La Mulana. Is it called like uh, Remastered or something like uh, that? I just, I, I know it is La Mulana and I don't think it has a subtitle name. Okay. But I think the original, it was basically an indie title without a real, without a release. It was a oh, free okay. game that somebody just sort of developed oh, okay. in their spare time and put it out there for people to play. So this release is the only, is really the only official release. Okay. And yeah. you can get on Steam. Yeah. Yes. All right. Perfect. So, yeah. so we'll add La Mulana to the, uh, so yeah, talk about the contest. And uh, so on there right now we have then La Mulana. We have Lethal League, which I added last time. We have Lara Croft Go. And uh, the- oh, We talked about Tomb Raider. Raider uh, yeah. Only on sale. <laughs> only on sale. Yeah. The new <laughs> Tomb Raider the only on sale. On there, so only on sale. Yeah. So, so those are the four games right now uh, that you can get. And um, to get that game, uh, very simple. Uh, as always, just hit the retweet button on Twitter at uh, VGM Generations. Easy to remember. And uh, three tweets every week. So uh, retweet on whichever service you're listening on, uh, Google Play, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And for a bonus entry, leave that iTunes review or SoundCloud comment. Uh, and yeah, that's it. So that's it for part three of episode 11 of VGM Generations. Remember, you can always reach us at VGM Generations on Twitter or at the email address vgmgenerations at gmail.com. And I would just want to give a little shout out to a listener, someone who we know for sure is listening, because uh, he tweeted at us some details about Malibu, uh, Malibu Publishing, who you mentioned last oh, time. Oh, that's awesome. I, uh, I want to hear all about this. JPB underscore Little Green on Twitter uh, said, Malibu published a universe of superheroes. Mantra and Prime were the big ones, and Marvel bought and swallowed them by 96. Hmm. So that was, uh, yeah, Malibu publishing Malibu Comics, who yeah. you were talking about uh, last time, um, that did time tracks. Uh, yeah, so a awesome. big, big shout out to uh, John. So they were swallowed Twitter. by Marvel. They were swallowed by Marvel. So yeah. that means so that's Marvel what holds know. the rights, and they could do a time tracks too. <laughs> yeah, there what? you go. And they're Marvel. Not. We're gonna we're gonna start we're gonna start this. Uh, yeah. We're gonna get this trending on Twitter. Time tracks. It'll be too. the next big thing in the Marvel universe. Hashtag They'll have a movie. Time okay. tracks. And a the Nef- movie. A Netflix show. Yeah. They can bring back the series. You yeah. get an extra bonus entry to the uh, contest if you if you put hashtag time tracks too in your in your in your retweet. Yeah, <laughs> get that started. Get that started, and we'll uh, we'll push Marvel to remake time tracks. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, your 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 boy Lar- Darian Lambert, but yeah, that's it for this episode, and uh, we'll Sidekick. catch you for Shout the. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> and we'll catch you for the next one uh, next week. <laughs>